turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4 uh, this morning. As we continue to uh, learn and discern the will and plan of God through his word, and we have been in this journey where we've been learning about a group of Christians who are beat up and knocked down for their faith. Maybe this week you were beat up and knocked down because you were a follower of Jesus Christ, because of your allegiance to him and his word. And, and what we've been learning is a history lesson of the people of Israel. And this would have been balm for the souls of those first readers of this letter because they needed hope. They needed rest. They needed a place that they could hold on to. And what we're going to learn today is that where we find that hope, where we find that rest is in the word of God. And it was the uh, mistake, the mortal mistake of the people of Israel during the wilderness generation to not hear and heed the word of God in their day. And as a result, they turned their own way. They went astray and they fell into rebellion. And the application of what we're going to learn today is we need to strive. We need to hold fast to the word of God because in an hour, hour or day of testing, we need something to hold fast to and that that word of God will lead us to the rest that we're looking for. And so once again, we take up this word and my prayer is that as we do, you're not going to learn anything new this morning if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ. What you are going to hear once again is the place that God's word needs to be in our lives. And my hope and my prayers, we examine our own lives, is that we would see that we've become casual in the approach that we have to the very words that bring us life. And so this morning we pick up in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verses 11 through 13. For many, you've heard these words before, but maybe for the first time hearing them in a context of a verse-by-verse sermon series out of the book of Hebrews, where we begin to recognize the grander truth of why God's word is so important to our persevering and to our endurance to run the race that's marked out for us. And so let's listen to what uh, the writer of Hebrews has to say to us, and we'll ask for God's blessing on our time together. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must all give an account. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we have been reminded in song about the power of your word. We've been reminded as we've sung these truths about you and about your salvation and the purifying work you do amongst your people. Lord, I pray that in light of those truths, we would not simply hear them, but we would do what they say. Father, we need to be a church that loves your word. We need to be a church that lives your word. Lord, we need to do so because we live in dark and despairing times. You've called us to be light in that world of darkness. 
So I pray that as we open your word, as we sing your word, as we pray your word, as we study and, and, and preach your word, that it would be a light not only to us, but to those who live in darkness. Oh God, how we need a revival of your word in our church. How we need a revival of your word in our nation. Lord, we come upon a week where an election will take place and we pray that your people will speak loudly. Lord, that we will enter those voting booths and that we will be people of your word. That we will look and ask, Lord, what you would require of us and that we might be the salt and light that this nation needs. Lord, heal our land. Heal your people, we ask. Lord, I pray that we will be a nation that will turn to you, that we will turn, unlike the generation in the wilderness, that we will obey your word and do what it says and reap the blessings that comes from it. Far too long, Lord, we have turned our own way. We have gone astray, and we confess that before you, and we ask that you would hear our prayers and heal our land so that we might be a city on a hill for all the world to see. So, Lord, it begins with us. It begins with each and every one of us turning to your word and obeying it, doing what it says, and living in the blessing that comes from obedience to you. We love you. We thank you. You're a God who speaks. We thank you that you are a God who is speaking to us even today. And I pray that even today we would not harden our hearts and turn away from your truth. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, as we turn to the scriptures this morning, thinking about this book that we've been given, this book that is living and active, I was reminded of another book. In fact, it would have been this uh, week when I was growing up that a book would arrive at our home. It was a book that was going to send us in a proper trajectory for weeks to come. Uh, That book was the Sears or J.C. Penney catalog. How many remember those catalogs in the olden days, right? Those catalogs were uh, were there far before the internet or Amazon. You had to wait for them to tell you what was on sale. And I remember in our home, we would fight over these catalogs. For the kids, we wanted to see the toys and the electronics that we so desired to be under the Christmas tree. For mom, it was the new winter fashion that uh, had all the dresses and sweaters that she uh, was looking forward to. For my dad, it was the hardware. And it was those knickknacks that he wanted to have in his garage that all men wanted and and desired. Uh, This was the book of dreams. In fact, Sears Roebuck called it the wish book. It was where we wished for things. And every merchandiser had a book like this that would come out around this time of the year. Montgomery Ward, service merchandise, they all had it. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to offer you the opportunity to hope, the opportunity to dream. But they also wanted to remind you there was a cost to what was in the book. You knew right there at the bottom of the description what the cost was to get what you were looking for. Was great as those catalogs were, and they were great. Listen, uh, Sears Roebuck commissioned a poet to write a poem about the catalog. That's how big it was. For those millennials right now, or Gen Z, you have no earthly idea what I'm talking about. But these catalogs were a big deal. 
A poet wrote these words. They know me as a catalog, and yet on lonely nights, I bring them dreams and fancies and a wealth of real delights. For often when the day is done and duties flags are furled, I take the family shopping all around the markets of the world. Today, I don't want to talk about the Sears catalog. I want to talk about the most important thing that we could ever engage ourselves in, and that is to be people of the book. And like those little kids, like those moms and dads that would find themselves scurrying through the pages of that catalog, hoping and wishing and dreaming and seeing the cost of what life according to that book would cost, I pray we would approach the word of God that is living and active. And we would find our hopes and our dreams. We would find out the cost of what this book means for us. And that we would dedicate our lives in the season before us to not only the hearing and the holding on to, but the heeding of the word of God. And that we would do it well, not only for the glory of God, but for our good. Now, in this book of Hebrews, we've been learning about God's rest. And we've been learning about a generation that did not enter the rest of God. And last week we talked about how important it is for us as a people to enter the rest of God. And so I want to give a statement today to center kind of our minds on our aim. And that is the following. If entering God's rest is your goal, If that's what you want, if that's what you're desiring, if that's what you're seeking, and the Bible says we should all be seeking that, then the word of God must be our guide. Listen to me very carefully. You will not ever enter God's rest. You will never experience the fullness of God's goodness in your life or in mine unless the word of God is preeminent in all that we say and do. And we use this example of the wilderness generation who heard the voice of God. They heard it each and every day. God was leading them and guiding them. And instead of listening, they allowed their hearts to be hardened and they left in rebellion. My desire is for those that long for that rest, that you would hear loud and clear today to be people of the word, that hear the voice of God. Well, in order to do that, two things must take place. First, it involves striving to be people of the word. Verse 11, it tells us that if we want to find victory where the wilderness generation found defeat, something needs to happen. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Well, how do we do that? The next verse tells us, for the word of God is living and active. So what we need to do, if we don't want to fall to the same disobedience as the nation of Israel in the wilderness generation, if we don't want to rebel as they did and miss out on God's blessing, we need to strive. Strive to what? Strive to be people of the word. That word strive, we learned a little bit about it last week. It means to toil, to work. It means that we dedicate ourselves to an daily endeavor of being led by the word. 
Now, this is not a passive word. This is an active word. This is the exact opposite of what the people in the wilderness generation were doing. They were drifting. The Christian, the person of the word, cannot drift into God's truth. We have to strive. We have to make it our focus. The idea here of striving is all of who we are is expended to grab hold of what we're longing for. So the person who longs for the rest of God is striving, is working, is making it their daily focus to be a person of his word. Can that be said of you this morning? That as you get up, one of the daily priorities that you have is to be a person of his word. That your day is not complete until you've had time in his word. That you will clear whatever you need to in your schedule. That you will leave other smaller priorities by the wayside to get to a time that you can hear the voice of God. Now, in order to do that, two things need to take place. Number one... We have to see that which we're striving for as important. In fact, more important than anything else. Now, that's easy for us as a church to say. Our middle name is Bible. And so we can say all with all honesty, the word of God is important. Many of us as Christians say the word of God is important. That's the Sunday school answer that we are to give. But is it so important that we will do all that we need to, to not only hear it, but to bring it to bear on every fabric and part of our lives. That's the harder thing. That I'm going to take this important truth, the word and voice of God, and I'm going to allow it to steer me in the direction God wants me to go. Now, you have a choice. You can be a person of the world, Or you can be a person of the word. Now, sadly, what many of us do is all week long, we're people of the world. We're entertained like they are. We prioritize our lives like the world does. We use our money like the world does. We we talk like the world. We act like the world. And then we show up. We grab the Bible that was sitting in the back of our car where we left it last Sunday. We pick it up. We walk in with great confidence and we sit down. And what we demand is that the preacher would be a preacher of the word. So we have a bunch of worldly individuals calling for one to bring the word that they've not brought to bear in their lives for the last six days. Am I close? And so what happens is we speak about the importance of God's word, but we don't bring it to bear. Now, one of the things that will inevitably happen is, is some things will begin to come out in our lives. That's why the context of this passage is so vitally important to our understanding of what's going on. Remember, the whole premise of this is don't be like the children of Israel who wandered in the wilderness because they were unwilling to listen to the voice of God. That's why it's imperative for us to do a little review. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And what we have is a resuscitation of Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation 
and said, they always go astray in their heart. They do not know my ways. So I've sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So take care, brothers. So he's moved from the Old Testament generation to the New Testament generation. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to do the same thing they did, that is to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another today, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. What does that look like? And it is said, verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The rebellion wasn't step one. The fashioning of the golden calf wasn't their first step into this foray of rebellion and disobedience. What was it? The answer is clear. They stopped listening to the voice of God. So there are three things that we need to see from this. First of all, write these things down. We need to be careful because we don't want to be like them. We want to enter God's rest. And we need to recognize that involves hearing God's word. It involves holding to God's word. And finally, it means heeding God's word. Now let's talk about these things. The first mistake these people made in the wilderness, and our first mistake, is we stop hearing the voice of God. Now the amazing thing is, That God was speaking all around them. Now, when we hear this phrase, the word of God, for the word of God is living and active, what does that word mean? It is the totality of the words of God, the speech of God. For the Old Testament days, it was the verbal voice of God as God walked with Adam and Eve in the coolness of the garden's night. And then we see that it's the voice of God as he speaks through a burning bush to Moses about freeing his people from Egypt. It's that still small voice that Elijah hears in the quietness of all that was going on around him. It's the voice of God that speaks to us through the pages of the book that's in your hands, that is living and active that is able to rebuke and correct and train the man or woman of God in righteousness. Why? Because all scripture is God breathed. It's God spoken. So it's the totality. God is speaking. And the question is, are we listening? Now, you want to know if you're listening or not? Let me ask you these three questions. Number one is the voice of God no louder than everyone else's. What I mean by that is when God speaks, is it no different than anything else of the noise that's going on around us? One of the great frustrations, and parents, you will agree with me, you come into the TV room and you've got a job for one of your children and you say, hey, son, hey, daughter, I need you to do this. And what happens is nothing happens. And and you've been there, no doubt, because they're looking at the screen on the wall, and that's all they hear. So there's something going on in the back of their, their mind. They know someone's talking, but the thing that's on the TV is louder than that which is being spoken. Now listen to me. You, I get frustrated by that. How many would agree? They get frustrated by that, parents. Parents. 
Why? Because you know your voice has way more importance, has way more value than whatever is going on on that screen, right? That's a jealousy for your words. How much more infinitely jealous is the God of the universe as he speaks to us and his voice is no louder than the voices around us? That the God who created us, the God that knows us, the God that hears our fears and anxieties, even if we don't utter them, is speaking to us and we can't hear him because his voice is no louder than the other voices around. Be careful. Number two, be careful when you're able to tune God out. That you hear God speaking But again, and this is a word to teenagers, because I remember I majored in tuning my parents out. Okay? It's like Charlie Brown's mom when she speaks from the other room, right? It's the trombone voice. I don't know what she's saying. I hear the noise. And some of us, God is speaking, and he's speaking right now. He's saying, I want you to hear me. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. And some of you right now, all you hear from me is womp, 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 womp. Tuning it out. Is Nick Foles going to have a good football game today? Matt Nagy going to call right plays? That's what you're thinking about right now. I rake the leaves yesterday, and my neighbor's leaves are in my yard right now. Where am I going to go? The places are all shut down. I'm hungry. Where am I going to eat? Womp, 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 womp. And as you're doing that in your mind right now, what's begging the question is, when is the womp, womp, womp going to stop? Let's move on. Be careful. God is speaking, and the hardening of your heart is that God's voice is no louder than anyone else's, or two, you have figured out a way to tune him out. Number three, and this is even more insidious, be careful when you hear the voice of God. You hear what he says, and pardon my words, you tell him to shut up. Some of you are hearing the voice of God. God is saying, I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you engaged in that activity. I don't want you looking at those things on the internet. I don't want you talking that way. And you hear it. It's loud and clear. It's not wah, 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 wah. It's don't do those things. Live in light of my truth. And you're like, you know what? Get out. I don't want to hear it. I want these things more than I want your word. These three things will tell you if you're a person of the world or if you're a person of the word. God is speaking. Are you listening? Now, once we hear the word, we've got to hold on to the word. Now, notice in the phrase, and I'm back in chapter 3 again, chapter 3, verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, On the day of testing, that phrase day of testing in the wilderness, that's an important one. What that's talking about is the day of tumult, the day of struggle. One of the things that the Lord knows about us is when we get squeezed, we turn to him. When things don't go our way, we run to him. That's why we are quick to give 911 prayers up because we find, we find ourselves in a corner And then we can only turn to God. 
This is not what the people of God did in the day of testing. The reason why is they weren't listening, so they didn't have at their disposal the truths and the promises of God that would hold them secure in the day of testing. Likewise, if we're not hearing the Lord in the good times, when life is good, then when the life is bad, we will have nothing to hold on to. And so each and every day, whether life's going well for us, we grab a hold of the word and we hold on tight. And we praise him for the good, we praise him in the bad, and we ask for him to watch over us and care for us and protect us, all the while knowing God's word is what will hold us up. It's God's word that will cause us to run away from the temptation of sin. So let me ask you, when trouble comes, where are you turning? What are you holding fast to? Are you drawing near to the God of of the word? Or are you turning to the world? Finally, we've got to heed the word. We've got to heed it. What that means is when God speaks, we need to do it. Now notice what he says again in verses, uh, uh, verse 10. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. Why? He's frustrated. God is angry. Why? Because God's talking and nobody's listening. And that angers him. God is angered with us. He brings discipline in our lives when he speaks. And we don't respond in obedience. So notice what he says. He says, I was provoked with that generation. Why? They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Why? Because when he spoke at the end of verse 15, they didn't hear his voice and they hardened their hearts. The idea of knowing God's ways is literally in the text to walk in lockstep with him. Is the word having such bearing on your life that you are arm in arm with the Lord? You are step in step with the Lord that when someone sees you, they're like that person is like in the marching band. He is marching to the beat of the word of God. He's living it out. In every step, in every cadence of his life, he's walking to the beat of God's word. And what the Lord is saying in this text is, this generation did not, and because they did not, they should not experience my blessing, my mercies, my grace. Don't presume upon those things if you're unwilling to walk with the God who gives those things. And so we've got to walk and strive to be people of the word. Now, why would we do this unless there's something about the word that makes it valuable? Notice number two, we need to see the power of the word. So verse 12 comes in. And again, verse 12 is a very well-known verse. I remember growing up in Awana and learning this verse for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I've got it down. But notice it begins with the word for. The connection here is what we know about the word of God is directly in correspondence to what the children of Israel did not do with the voice of God. They did not allow it to expose their sin. They did not allow it to penetrate their hearts. And as a result of that, they did not experience God's rest and God's blessing in their lives. 
And so what do we need to know about this word? What would cause us to listen to the voice of God? First of all, the voice of God, the word of God is living. It's living. It's alive. It's not dead. This isn't an old dead book that we read. It's a live book. This live book that changes lives. Now, how do we know that it changes lives? We know it because each of us have been changed by it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at some point, At some moment in time, God's word came to bear on your life. Did you know that? Someone preached to you the word of God and it had bearing on your life. Someone sang a song about Jesus and his grace and his mercy and it moved you to change from being a follower of the world to being a follower of Christ. Someone did something to uh, you through the spoken word of God that moved you and changed you. Turn in your Bibles for a moment. I want to explain this a little more of the importance of the word of God to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. If you're in the book of Hebrews, you're going to go through the pastoral letters and the uh, letters to the churches. You're going to get to first and second Corinthians as you're heading backwards towards the Old Testament to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10. And what we have is Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And what is said is a truth we know. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is true. But notice the logic that Paul now brings to it. If that's how man is saved, how man is brought from death to life, how then will they call on him, call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him? of whom they have never, help me out, heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all believed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what what he has heard from us? So faith comes from, help me, hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, through the word of God. A person cannot experience the rest, the grace, the mercy of God unless someone or something tells them about the word of God. You can't. You cannot experience death into life without someone preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today, you're in a place where you are hearing that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Today, will you harden your hearts and live in disobedience, or will you give your life to Jesus Christ? It's a living book. It changes lives. We are witnesses to the life change that this book has had. But notice, it's energetic, It's living, it's active. This Greek word for active is where we get the word energy from. And this isn't just a little bit of energy. This is crazy. This is unbridled energy. Yesterday we had my family over for uh, the trick-or-treating celebration. And my little niece Jojo was uh, in our living room. And unbeknownst to mom and dad, little Jojo had gotten into her candy. Now, how did we know little Jojo had gotten into her candy? Because she was running all over the place, arms in the air, screaming and loving and life. And well, she had gotten energy. 
And it was unbridled energy. This is what we're kind of talking about here. This unbridled energy that the word of God gives you. So listen, maybe today you're sapped. Maybe today you're tired. Maybe today you're weary. Have you turned to the word of God? Some of us are quick to go to the drive-thru to deal with that weariness, believing that a $14 cup of coffee is going to change things. And God's sitting there saying, listen, no amount of espresso, no amount of Starbucks or Dunkin' is going to give you the energy you need to make it through life. So what does? Meditating day and night on the word of the Lord. It energizes us. It gives us the refreshment that our weary souls need. That's why Psalm 119 says this over and over again. The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores my soul. Psalm 119.25, my soul cleaves to the dust, so revive me according to your word. This is my comfort in my time of affliction, that your word has revived me, Psalm 119.50. The only thing that will give us life and vitality and health in this world is the word of God. Are you listening Now, what this means is this idea of energizing literally is a insatiable hunger and thirst for more of that which is energizing. So the idea here is that we are sniffing the aroma of God's word and all it's doing is wetting the appetite more and more that when we get a morsel of God's truth in our bellies, all we want is more and more and more. So let me ask you this morning, are you hungering for the word of God so much that even though you are filled, you still want more? So what does this word do? It does three things for us that are so vitally important if we're going to run this race with perseverance. Number one, it pierces us. Many times we see this word, uh, this message, as a standalone message, and we miss the point. The author is speaking about spiritual surgery. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews has declared our malady. Notice in Hebrews chapter 3, It tells us numerous times in verse 8, we see the malady. In verse uh, 12, we see the malady. In verse uh, 13, we see the malady. In verse 15, we see the malady. What is it? A hardened, unbelieving heart. That's our problem. The reason why we don't enter God's rest, the reason why we don't experience God's blessing in our life, the reason why we don't experience the fullness of God as followers of Jesus Christ is there is a hardened part of our hearts. And so what God says is, I want to do surgery on you. I want to pierce your heart. I want to start cutting away the hardened areas of your heart so that you might experience the fullness of my grace and my mercy. And so we've got to allow the word of God to do it. Now, here's the problem. When something pierces us, it hurts. And so one of the ways that you know you're hearing the voice of the Lord is if you have that twinge of pain when he cuts. When you sit there and say, ow, you're getting a little too close to home, Lord. You're calling me things that I don't like to be called, but they're true. You're pointing out areas in my life that need to change. And I don't want to hear that. 
And what it does is it pierces deep. Notice the phrase there. It pierces with a double-edged sword. That means it cuts both ways. You can't get away from it. As it cuts, it's cutting on all sides of what it touches. Most knives are only on one side. So one side gets affected, the other side doesn't. This is a double-edged sword. So it's cutting every place that it touches. Notice it goes deeper. It deals with the joints and the marrow. It's cutting deep. These aren't superficial wounds. These are getting to the heart of the matter. Now why? Because that hardened heart is going to send you right to hell. And so God graces us with his word to cut out that which is going to send us to a place we do not want to go. And so what does it do? It purifies us. Oh, the word of God, how deep it goes. It cuts through. Notice it deals with not only the joints and the marrow, the the physicality of our sin, but it deals with the very source of it. Notice discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word does something that people can't do in your life. So you go to your small group, I go to my small group, and how's life? It's good. How you doing? I'm loving the Lord, and I'm living for him. And then you go home, and you know what you're doing. You know what you're a part of. You know what your mouth is saying. You know what your eyes are seeing. You know what your mind is thinking. And you know it, and you know here's the problem. You're not the only one that knows it. Now, you faked everybody else out, but the word knows it. God's voice is speaking to you and saying, you can't live that way. You can't do those things and expect my grace and my mercy. Change your ways. Turn away from your sin. Don't allow the deceitfulness of sin to ruin your opportunity to enter my rest. And so the word of God does something that we, no great accountability partner can do. Because you can lie to the accountability partner. You can fake them out. But the word says, I see it. I know your heart. It knows the real you. It knows the you when nobody else is around. It knows the you when you're lying through your teeth and saying all manner of bad things in your head about the person you're smiling at in that moment. And it's calling it out and it's cutting it and it's purifying you. Why? Because the word of God comes from the heart of God and the heart of God is that you would not live in sin, but live in the freedom of his voice and his truth. Well, what is all this for? This is so vitally important. It prepares us. Verse 13. That's a scary way to end a verse. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And you say, okay, well, that's not me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I don't have to do anything. Well, let's recognize the book of Hebrews is written to believers, and it says we're going to give an account. And the Bible is clear that every person will stand before God. For the unbeliever, we will stand before the Lord um, in the, the um, great throne room of God, and our question will be our destination, heaven or hell. And those that are great and small will stand before the Lord and have no excuse for their sin or their rebellion, and they will be sent to the fiery dungeons for eternity separated from God. But likewise, Christian, we too will give an account before the throne of Christ and the, uh, as Jesus deals and addresses with 
how we lived in the body, whether for him or not. Now, here's the grace. For the unbeliever, without warning, without any kind of uh, heads up, the judgment day will come. For the believer, what God is doing, and this is the best way to put it, for the unbeliever, the judgment will be a pop quiz. It'll come out of nowhere. For us, God has given us the test in advance, and he's given us the answer key. And what he has said is, listen, all things are going to be exposed. But here's the thing. Recognize the judgment is coming. And two, here's how I'm going to judge you. And three, here's how to pass that judgment. And so what he says is, be people of the word. Humble yourself. How do you go about standing before the judgment of Christ with all confidence? By being humble and obedient and not hardening your hearts to the voice of God. And so what he's asking for us to do is to get on the table and to allow him to do daily surgery in our lives. Will it hurt? Yep. Will it cause us to have to say no to things? Yep. But in the process, and especially on the day of the Lord, we will be able to stand before the throne of grace, which we're going to get to next week, the throne of grace with confidence. We'll be able to stand before our Lord and our Savior with confidence because we will hear from him, well done, good and faithful service. Servant, when I spoke to you, you listened. When I called you to something, you did it. When I asked you to serve, you served. When I asked you to give, you gave. When I asked you to love, you loved. You did what I asked you to do. So enter thy rest. Enter it. And receive all the blessing that comes. And so let me ask a very simple yet thoughtful question again. God is speaking. Are you listening? Do you hear him? Now we're going to pivot to a time of remembering the Lord's work in our lives. A time of communion. And so how do we connect these two things together? Write this down and this will lead us into our time together. Communion with God is only possible when his word is our companion. You and I will never commune with God if God's word isn't in our heart, isn't in our minds, isn't on our tongues. If it's not leading us, we will never know what it means to live in communion with God. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to take some time to quiet our hearts. And the verse that I want us to be thinking about is Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And what I'm going to ask as the worship team begins to play is for you to do some evaluating in your lives. How do we evaluate? We listen. We listen to the voice of God. And so let me tell you how God speaks. And as, as you begin to quiet your hearts, ask these things. God, are you speaking in such a way that is convicting me of a sin, a private and personal sin? If so, listening to his voice responds to him with sorrow and repentance. Maybe God is going to take this time and commend you as to how you responded in obedience to him. Well, your response should be that of humble gratitude and joy. 
Maybe the Lord is speaking you today and he's commanding you to do something. Will you look to him for the strength and the resolve to obey him and to do it with his strength? Maybe the Lord is speaking to you today about a promise he's made to you. A promise that you need to hold on to tightly in this time of need. Then in this time of communion, marvel at his grace and trust him that he will do what he says. Maybe there's a warning to be heard. Maybe he's warning you, run away from that sin. Run away from that person. Run away from that crowd. You're going into danger. Then take seriously his warning. And with a thankful heart, run away from it and turn to him. Maybe today he's wanting to make himself known to you, describing himself about himself to you. Maybe his son, maybe his Holy Spirit. Then affirm and admire with a heart of worship that you might be able to see and enjoy his goodness and his beauty. Let the word of God be a lamp to your feet as you listen to the voice of God. Let's spend some time in quietness listening to our Lord speak to us.